Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Guys, welcome to the Umrapreneur Live podcast, where I interview Muslim entrepreneurs at the top of their game to talk about mindset, entrepreneurship, lifestyle, and everything else. And today I have with me none other than Brother Muaz Mahriz. Assalamu alaikum, Muaz. How are you today? Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullahi Brother Abi. Thank you so much for having me. I'm doing great. The- Alhamdulillah, alhamdulillah, the pleasure is all mine. And just to kind of give our listeners a bit of background on what you do and who you are and why I wanted to bring you on. So uh, Brother Waz is uh, the founder and CEO of Halal Investor. And this is actually, uh, the way I discovered him was on Instagram. And I think that's where he's active the most. So definitely check him out on Instagram, Halal Investor. And what he does is, uh, and what Halal Investor do essentially, they provide tools, education, and insight to help people and Muslims specifically, better manage their finances in an ethical way. Uh, They have a website, they have social media pages where they give helpful investment tips, philosophies, insights, and wisdom from investment experts, also while exploring what it means to invest your wealth in a halal and ethical way in our modern day. So it's going to be a really interesting discussion. We're going to talk about investment, about wealth building, and all kinds of topics that I'm sure will be beneficial to all Muslims to listen to, because we know this is extremely important for us right now. How can we grow our wealth as a community while doing so, following Islamic principles, right? So, Bismillah, super excited, Brother Moaz. Thank you so much, man. Let's dive right into it. Are you ready? Like, well, let's, do it. <laughs> let's do it. Let's do it. Bismillah. So, let's start right at the beginning, brother. Share with me a little bit about what even inspired you to, you know, start this initiative and become an entrepreneur, right? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, so I actually work right now uh, and it's kind of anti-entrepreneur right now, but right now I'm kind of nine to five uh, uh, work. And, and what I do is I'm an investment analyst. So mm. I've been in the finance industry for a while um, and just kind of learning about different things about how our economy works, how the finance industry works. And specifically, I kind of honed in on uh, investment analysis because I thought that's where I could, you know, have the most halal career, if you will. Mm-hmm. Uh, investment analysis is just basically, you know, looking at investment options and deciding whether or not they're a good investment for the long term. And specifically, I focus on stocks. So what I do right now in my, in my day job is uh, I basically research stocks. I write reports on them. I answer questions about stocks uh, for, for the company that uh, that I'm working with. And so what got me thinking about the whole halal investing space is that, you know, there's this huge gap within the Muslim community within the Muslim community um, regarding the understanding of what a good investment is and how to properly allocate our financial resources. And then at the same time, there's the other side of, you know, what is halal and what is haram? Because, you know, let's face it, our financial system, the global financial system, is is very uh, riba based. It's very interest based. So it can sometimes feel like everything about it is haram. So, mm-hmm. um, but in fact, that's not true, right? That the al-asl fil umur al-ibahal in Islam and in the, in the Sharia, the the default state of everything is permissibility. So the idea is to look for, you know, uh, start with that concept in mind and avoid what's haram. But there are plenty of opportunities for Muslims to invest their money. Uh, in a halal way. So it, that, that's what got me starting. I started the blog, uh, halalinvestor.net. You guys can check that out. I have some articles there you guys can read about just kind of the basics to getting started, about how to think, time horizon, risk tolerance. These are very important concepts that Muslims need to understand. So it's it's really just about bridging that gap between understanding you know, that our deen doesn't discourage growing our wealth, but at the same time, knowing the actual practical world um, issues of of investing and being smart about it at the same time so it's really about bringing muslims and elevating them up to that status because there's this misconception that investing your money in the stock market or investing your money in general is gambling or is like gambling especially when the word stock market is used so i'm really just about kind of clarifying those misconceptions and sharing sharing what i've learned so far uh in my journey Mm -hmm. that's really really nice and i love that you know you looked at something that you realize is in need and people could definitely benefit from this information. There's a lack of resources available. You decided why not provide that myself? And I think that's what entrepreneurship really boils down to. It always boils down to, you know, realizing that there's a certain problem or maybe a certain lack in a certain area of the market and then trying to fill that gap. 
Now, you specifically decided to focus on Muslims, on serving Muslims, right? And you know, listening to you, it's, it's, it sounds like it was just your natural thought process, but I want to dig a little bit deeper uh, with you and, and find out why you chose to specifically help Muslims versus just saying, I'm going to create, you know, a, a, an investing uh, advice blog or resource for, for everyone, right? Why specifically Muslims? Well, there's two reasons for that. First of all, it's, it's a very uh, untapped niche. Uh, so uh, it's, and it's an unserved market. So that, that's essentially what it comes down to from a, you know, quote unquote entrepreneurial business perspective, but in the same spirit, uh, the Muslim community is dear to my heart has always been a part of my life. Uh, and you know, you, you're always, we're always trying to find ways to serve the community. And, you know, back in the day, I used to do a lot of, you know, volunteer work and, and whatnot. Um, and I got to a point of realization where, the, you know, it's, it's great to do all this work and help out and that sort of thing. But I feel where Muslims can really make a difference is using their own expertise and in their careers, whether you're a professional and, you know, you've got a job and you want to expand and, and do something within, within your field to help the community, or you just want to start a brand new business. Um, uh, essentially, uh, the idea is if you want to serve the community best, uh, I think it's it's one of the best ways to do that is to contribute with our diverse uh, um, ways of ex expertise. So that, that was my line of thinking that, you know, if I'm going to contribute to the community, I, I let's kill two birds with one stone, for lack of a better word, and use our skills to uh, to help the community. Inshallah. And I love that. And, and it's sort of... It's great to see this happening because uh, I'll, I'll be honest with you, and I think this is something that we are kind of seeing in our generation. I know, actually, uh, that's unfair to say. Let me let me pause there because because the older generation, mashallah, the older generation, they've pioneered you know many things. And at least myself, I'm in Canada here, so for Muslims in the West, or uh, like I think for you is you're in the UK, correct? No, I'm actually also in Canada. Oh, you're also in Canada. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah, also our guests, my guests are, are from the UK. So always like default. Oh, you're probably in the UK. Amazing, mashallah. So also from Canada. So you understand this, right? Like you'll you'll see the older generation right there. there. But I think the difference is for the older generation of Muslims, their focus was how can we instill institutions to keep Islam alive in the West? And so they focused on the community centers. They focused on the mosques, right? On the organizations, the nonprofits, which is amazing, mashallah, and definitely necessary but I think what we're seeing right now with our generation and what is really beautiful uh, is that we're realizing, okay, now we have that part, but we're lacking tangible resources for, you know, day-to-day -day life, right? As Muslim men millennials growing up in the West, uh, North America, or even in Europe. And so it's nice to see entrepreneurs like yourself that are, you know, pioneering uh, different initiatives to kind of help fill that gap, mashallah. And, and I like that you said, you know, why not use our skills to be able to benefit the community, to benefit the Ummah? And I think if we can all have that perspective and try to think of ways to do that, uh, we'd be in a much better place. So uh, I love hearing that, mashallah, brother. I want to continue this conversation by asking you what your mission is uh, with Halal Investor, right? So I know you, I know we talked about what it is that you do, right? But I want to, again, dive a little bit deeper here and, and kind of talk about your mission, really. And what is it that you envision for the Muslim Ummah and what you hope to bring to these Muslims that follow you. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, what I envision for Halal Investor is, is for it to be a resource for people to, or Muslims specifically, to learn how to invest their money in a halal and ethical way. And really just to learn the proper ways and the, the even just conventional common sense ways to grow their wealth. I believe there is mm -hmm. A whole lot of wisdom even if you just read the the basic investing books you can gain a whole lot of wisdom and learn from uh people in the past how they've invested their money and how they've grown it uh and we we see a lot of communities uh, outside of the muslim community doing this and i think it's it's about time our our community starts to gain this collective wisdom on how to properly allocate resources so i really want to encourage uh essentially educate Muslims. That's that's the, the main mission of Halal Investors, to educate Muslims about concepts of Halal investing in general, so how to keep your wealth 
halal and pure. So there's purification concepts mm -hmm. and that sort of thing. There's zakat, which is another topic. Um, and then just basic common sense on, you know, how to not make bad decisions with, uh, with your money and uh, how to identify what is a, a good investment. So that's mm -hmm. really all it is, is just educating Muslims about, uh, about these concepts and making them widespread so that we can, as a community, have this kind of, uh, you know, investment brain to, mm. to, to think about the future. Because investing is all about uh, withholding current spending to spend in the future. And that's literally all it is, so that you can grow your wealth so that it can be allocated to something bigger in the future. Or, or to not just, not just, you know, pile up your savings, but also to look at what are... Uh, or identify what are some of the uh, actual good uh, investments for for the long term that we can invest in as a community. So, for example, somebody like yourself who's who's starting this, you know, who, who's got this omapreneur business, uh, you're likely at one point. I'm not sure if if you've done so already, but going to look for investors to grow your business, right? Mm -hmm. So, us as a Muslim community, we need to learn how to look for investors and learn how to encourage each other to invest within the community and that's that's really the i think it's not even a secret really it's this is what people are doing um and i think our community is lacking this thinking a little bit we sort of kind of rely too much on you know donations and you know uh who's going to donate or you know to to extend the, the you know extend this part of the mosque which is great but there are many other ways that we can engineer um, and, and invest Hundred percent, and uh, you know, I completely relate to everything you're saying. And you know, right now, I think it's not for. I don't think we have a, a lack necessarily a lack of wealth uh, in the community, but rather maybe I think the opportunity here is, as you're mentioning, how to utilize that wealth, whether it's to grow it or to also have it circulate in a way where it's consistently growing in ways that benefit everyone. Uh, inshallah. So, you started Halal Investor now, and. This has been going on for how many years? When did you actually get started with this? I actually just started about a year ago. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, I kind of started blogging a year and a half ago and then really kind of launched the Instagram page around a year ago, uh, last okay. June, actually. Uh, Amazing. And what is it that what was that that trigger? Was it that you were at a point where you finished your studies? Did you were you just, you know, in between two jobs? A lot of people ask when I should start my business, right? So I want to get your 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 perspective on that. Um, honestly, it was really, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm one, I, I, I've been working since, uh, you know, 2013, I've, I've graduated mm -hmm. since, uh, since a while mm -hmm. and it, it, I've gotten to a point in my career where, you know, I, I think I can, I can add more than simply just, you know, doing the, the nine to five. I want to do something extra and add value. Uh, mm -hmm. it also kind of coincided. It did coincide with, uh, the birth of my first daughter. And so, amazing. Yeah, so you get this kind of sense of, you know, okay, I really want to do more for my family as well. And, you know, it's about time that I kind of, you know, up my game in terms of, you know, just uh, from a self-development point of view, um, I'm going to be a father. So I have to be on my, on my A game with everything. So mm -hmm. I have to be thinking in terms of, okay, where can I add value? And this is something that I, I honestly I want to teach my kids. Um, yeah. You know, always think about where you can add value. Um, I love what you're doing because I truly, truly believe being an entrepreneur is is a very Islamic thing to do, right? Mm. Uh, and we see it with many of the Sahaba. They were many of them were entrepreneurs, um, and it's 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 a it's a core value for 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 me. And it's something that I I have no doubt in my mind that it's something that's gonna end up happening inshallah that you know i take this path inshallah definitely i want to i want to ask you bro because uh, a lot of people sometimes you know they'll they'll look at you know this they'll, they'll listen to this conversation and they'll read about wealth and you know financial freedom and then there's a part of them that feels like oh but as muslims should we pursue wealth should we pursue worldly gain you know isn't isn't the akhirah our abode and it's like you know, is there a balance and does pursuing financial freedom really hinder someone from the pursuit of, of righteousness? I want to know your opinion on that. Oh, I'm, I'm so glad you asked this question <laughs> because this is one of the biggest misconceptions that I think our community has. 
we have this idea that you know we we should avoid wealth because wealth is associated with the dunya and they know themselves we know ourselves too and you know allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the quran that you uh, you as human beings love wealth immensely so it is natural for us to feel like okay we're going to get attached to wealth so there's this in our brain we have this kind of you know uh, direct correlation but with the right mentality i truly truly believe as a believer uh, how one should be is to train ourselves to look at wealth as a tool more than anything and not just that that our wealth if we have the right conception of wealth in islam as muslims that wealth is not really ours any wealth that we have in our bank account or under our mattress or in our in the stock market in our investment accounts or our homes anything that we that we think we own is not actually ours but it belongs to allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and what that means is that this wealth that's been given to us is an amana it's uh, a trust that's been placed upon us so we therefore have a responsibility so when we start to think about wealth as a responsibility and we have to allocate these resources as stewards of the ummah then i think that the mentality really starts to shift and starts to become okay i need to gain this wealth so that i can better serve the ummah and by gaining financial freedom for yourself personally there there's so many there's so many more pros than cons in my opinion especially with the right mindset first of all yes it's it's a good thing to be financially free why because you can have more time for your family more time for the ummah more time for the community more time to contribute to things that will actually make a difference more resources to actually make a difference um, and it's also maybe it's not talked about very much but it's also psychologically beneficial to be financially free because you're less stressed about just making ends meet right um, and and th that's a very real thing right and if we go to the other extreme poverty is actually a very negative uh, thing uh, in terms of the if we're talking about the general masses uh, poverty results in a lot of negative things it results in in crime it results in people despairing of hope it does it results in it has a lot of negative effects right doesn't mean people who are poor are less are less than others uh, in fact the, the nabi sallam chose to be someone who lived who lived with very little means right so it's it's not necessarily a direct correlation but it's it's saying that the the effects of poverty are very very uh, negative on humankind and that's why we have zakat right we give our wealth to uh, to those in need so that we can alleviate uh, the negative effects of poverty and so that people can live generally more positive lives and generally have a, a better uh, outlook on life and better mental health ultimately so uh, that's that's my perspective on wealth uh, I really think we should, instead of focusing on avoiding wealth and avoiding, you know, uh, talking about it or avoiding the, um, you know, the, the possibility of it being something that you love too much, focus more on, you know, okay, how do I cope with wealth? How do I, you know, train myself to look at wealth in, in the correct way? Like anything, it's a tool, like many things in, in this life. Mm -hmm. Definitely. And I, I like what you said about it being a tool because... I think the key here uh, is that you know there uh, there's there's definitely a way where you can still very much have an active pursuit of wealth, right? And and really pursue it earnestly and work on your business. And one of your goals being, you know, we do want to acquire more revenue in our business, and you know, so we can create more amazing products and services and keep growing and keep serving others. And I think all of it ties together, right? Because when there's that. When you don't have enough revenue in your business or even income, you can't do as many things as you'd like to do, whether that be even going to Hajj or Amrah with your family or whether that even may just be something as simple as providing for your family. Um, and uh, subhanAllah, there are in many du'as that the Prophet ﷺ has taught us, um, there is, uh, you know, uh, one part of the du'a will be, Allahumma inni a'udhu bika min al-kufri wal-faqri, right? I owe Allah, I seek protection from poverty. Right, so even the Prophet said, "I'm used to seek Allah Subhanahu wa Taala's protection from poverty." Uh, so you don't seek protection from something that's good for you, right? You seek protection from something that's not necessarily very good for you, uh, and and that's exactly what it means. 
Um, so subhanAllah, it's definitely, I think, a mindset shift that we need to have. Um, now, I want to talk about investments a little bit because you have a really interesting way of you know sharing with people and with your followers, and I love that. You know whether certain stocks or investment vehicles are halal or haram and of course i know you're sharing your opinion simply and that's really all you can do but i want to ask you what do you usually look for when you are evaluating if a, if a specific stock or investment vehicle is halal or haram are there certain things that you're kind of looking for uh, to evaluate these these things yeah so broadly speaking you want to make sure uh, the business itself that you're investing in is not fundamentally doing something that is against our Islamic values. Mm -hmm. So common things are uh, you know, a, a business that makes all of its revenue from interest, um, such as banks, um, uh, anything to do with alcohol, casinos, firearms. There's kind of a difference of opinion about that, but generally speaking, it's not something that we, we encourage, especially because a lot of the, the companies that uh, that manufacture weapons are often actually used against Muslims. So it's kind of, I don't want to say political, but it's, it's, it's kind of the, the reality of it. Mm -hmm. uh, even though weapons are also a tool, they can, they can be used in both good and bad, right? So there's a conceptual thing there. But generally speaking, you want to avoid companies that fundamentally do something that is against your values uh, as a Muslim. So really, that's, that's what it first comes down to. Now, secondly, there are uh, standards that scholars have established. So Alhamdulillah, over the decades, scholars have kind of come together and said, okay, we need to develop some standards if we're going to agree that investing in stocks or investing in global markets is, is um, going to be acceptable. Here are the standards. And uh, my opinion on this is that it's still something that is developing, but uh, there are, alhamdulillah, there are standards and we can kind of, uh, we can adopt them and we can at least mm -hmm. use that as a starting point to evaluate whether or not we're comfortable with their investment. So mm -hmm. for me, the first thing is the fundamentals or the, the actual, what the company does. Uh, the standards that uh, were established by uh, scholars, um, the most well-recognized standard is called, is uh, the abbreviation is AOFI, the accounting and auditing uh, institution organization for Islamic financial institutions. I don't think I got that fully right, but I, I never do. <laughs> um, but essentially that uh, organization, it's a global uh, uh, auditing organization with Muslim scholars, well-renowned Muslim scholars on the boards, and they've come up with standards. So the, the first one is that no more than 5% of a company's revenues should come from uh, impermissible sources. So for example, you can have uh let's say what's a random company uh i don't know general motors let's say general motors they make cars right that's fine but let's say they have a division that you know uh randomly manufactures alcohol too and if that becomes more than five percent of their revenue then the stock itself becomes non-sharia compliant mm -hmm. uh, now it's for me it's important to, to differentiate between sharia compliant non-sharia compliant and then halal and haram right it's 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 important that we look at companies not as black and white and more as you know it, it's a it's a more honest scale um but generally speaking you avoid these kind of companies so five five percent uh not more than five percent of revenues in uh impermissible spaces so generally speaking wouldn't be permissible according to these standards to invest in a company that has more than 5%. Uh, and then you look at the financial ratios of a company. So you look at their debt uh, and their cash. Usually debt and cash is interest-based, especially in the West. So not more than, so the scholars say is not more than 33% or 30%, depending on which specific standard you follow. But let's say 30% to make it simple. Uh, of a company's total value or market cap can be, in asset in debt uh in debt or in cash the main reason for this is just to reduce the exposure <clears throat> excuse me reduce the exposure uh to to riba essentially to uh to interest uh, as a percentage of your investment 
So if we were to say that no company, like companies can't have any interest bearing debt or any interest bearing cash, then the universe, the investable universe would be like, like two stocks, maybe, you know, like there wouldn't be enough stocks to choose from. So this was, I think, a way that the scholars used to kind of um, narrow down the, um, to make it, to make it a feasible uh, uh, investable universe for for Muslims to invest in. So it's a practical mm -hmm. way to approach the stock market. So that, I know that was a bit of a technical breakdown, but I think it's important to know where we're at right now as a community in terms of what standards we use for Sharia compliance and non-Sharia compliance. But at the end of the day, what I sincerely believe is I get a lot of questions asking me, okay, is this stock halal? Is this stock haram? You know, can I do this? What, what if it says it's uh, halal on this app and haram on this app, what do I do? So it's really about knowing the standards, in my opinion, and then coming to a decision as to what you're actually comfortable with uh, as a Muslim uh, investing in. Um, and then we, uh, just another point that I want to mention is that even though a company can have up to 5% impermissible revenue, that impermissible revenue also needs to be purified. So there are ways to do that. And I, I talk a little bit about that on my page. It gets a little bit more technical, but essentially you, you donate a certain portion of your gains or a certain portion of, of returns that were given to you. And that corresponds to how much impermissible income there was. And you donate that that to charity. So interesting. Kind of interesting. Yeah, it's a really interesting uh, approach, actually. I thank you for sharing that. And I actually learned a lot just from you sharing that. So don't not too technical, brother. This is exactly what I wanted, mashallah. Um, so... I know you probably get you know tons of questions, um, and I'm sure you do because I'm not even in an investment account. I mean, Omarpreneur, you know, we share information on entrepreneurship, and I think every other day we're going to get someone uh, asking us, "Oh, is this halal haram? Is this halal haram?" And I want to talk about that for a little bit. I want, I want to, I want to actually put a little note here since we're bringing up this conversation, okay? Because we get so many of these questions, but no, I mean, I mean, at least for me. You know, number one, these questions have nothing to do with our expertise, which is business and entrepreneurship. So there are other types of questions. And there are questions that you probably, you know, if you're listening to this and you ever, you know, reached out to us or thought of reaching out to us, you know, you probably don't want our answer, right? On whether something is halal haram, at least for, for us at Omarpreneur, because I am in no way a scholar or I am in no way, you know, uh, qualified in fiqh or a mufti or any of anything really that would qualify me to be able to tell, you know? And so you should not be reaching out to me to find out if things are halal or haram. And I don't even, I won't give you an answer. I don't usually give people an answer because I don't want to get into that and, and misguide people and take that risk. I might have my personal opinions and that's my personal opinions. But I think what you said is interesting, which is you want to teach people how, like what are, you know, what, what, what the scholars have essentially determined are the factors to look at so that they can come to their own conclusions, right? And I think that's a really interesting approach and it's a very powerful approach because I don't know, there's so many Muslims right now that just, you know, they'll kind of go to anyone to ask, is this halal or haram? And I think, you know, at least for myself, like, I don't know, you should go to someone more qualified. I mean, am I wrong with that? I don't know. It's, it might just be my perspective, but I feel like, you know, just because we're a Muslim company doesn't mean that we're qualified to tell you what halal or haram is. I think, you know, we should raise that standard on who we listen to when it comes to these things. Uh, I just want to know your opinion on that. I mean, I might be way off, but please go ahead. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I agree with you 100%. I mean, yeah, people, and believe me, the amount of DMs I get on Instagram, <laughs> is this halal, is this random cryptocurrency right. that just came out, is it halal? And it's like, right. so first of all, <laughs> I'm not a scholar, right? And right. where did this, uh, you know, random crypto come out of? Like, I, I have no idea about it, right? So mm -hmm. it's like, we, what we need to first understand is uh, that there are scholars out there, there are, there are, have a specialty in Islamic finance. And those are probably the best people to, to reach out to and or gain wisdom from. Uh, what I do is I learn from those people, from those scholars, uh, mm -hmm. whether it's I, I talk with them directly or I learn from their publications and I relay that information to the, to the community. That's what I kind of focus on, but I'm not a scholar myself. And mm -hmm. I if I give an opinion, it's like, this is what I'm comfortable with. So. Mm -hmm. Uh, the second thing we need to realize is that, like I said, it shouldn't be looked at as black and white because mm -hmm. and like anything in economics or business, nothing is black and white. And you can probably 
you know say this the best right there is no black and white about anything there's mm -hmm. there's a lot of judgment that you have to make in business so same thing applies to looking at a stock or any business it's a unique business it's a unique ent entity on its own so you have to look at it and just kind of evaluate have your own criteria are you comfortable uh, investing in it and there so like there, there is so much innovation also happening in the finance world, cryptocurrencies, NFTs, uh, just new concepts. Human beings are always developing new ideas. So new businesses are coming out, new stocks are coming out, new IPOs, SPACs and, and whatnot, new financial instruments. And unfortunately, well, we're getting there, inshallah, but the, 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 the scholarly com community uh, takes time and uh, rightly so to look at all of these different uh, things that are happening in the finance world and make a judgment about it. And then on top of that, it keeps developing over time as we understand more as the scholars as well understand more and consult experts because the scholars also un consult experts to understand what's happening, right? Um, they they have to take their Islamic knowledge, the fiqh knowledge and apply it to the, the, the dunya. So it's it's not an obvious thing. So that's what people need to keep keep in mind. So in the meantime, we have to use our best judgment as as people and we need to i think as a community try to move away from this black and white thinking of this is halal and this is haram rather we need to be sincere about what we think is truly permissible and if we have a doubt about something then it's okay to stay away from it but we we i think we need to move away from looking for a free ticket or an answer from somebody that okay this is halal let's go for it because i've seen that so much this cryptocurrency is halal let's go all in or this stock is halal let's go crazy and or like is oh another one i don't know if you've been keeping up with uh, amc and gamestop you mm -hmm. might have heard about this in the in the media yeah. uh but people asking me is gamestop halal and it's as if they want to get a free ticket to say, okay, this person said it's halal, so let's get in on it. But the problem with AMC and GameStop and these uh, these uh, these stocks or how they've been trading is that it's it's pretty much borderline gambling. And as a Muslim, mm -hmm. do you you know does does that sit well with you, or are you mm -hmm. just kind of lured in by this and you just want that free pass? Okay, I can invest in this, or I can I can try this out. I can you know. Are we looking for free lottery tickets kind of thing? So this I, I, is I completely agree with that. We need to move away from. Mm. And I, I completely agree. I just want to make a note on that because I think there's that's the that's an important distinction to make, uh, which is, is really great that you've touched upon it, which is are you investing in a stock because you believe in the company and you believe in its potential and growth? Or are you investing because you think there's like a pump and dump happening right now and you want to catch the wave, right? Or, uh, you know, there's going to be a short squeeze and, and this is it, like get in on it, you know? And, and that's the thing. In that case, you're gambling, right? So as well, I think here the intention behind it is also important because are you investing in GameStop because you believe in GameStop? Are you investing in it because, you know, I can maybe ride this wave, right? And I think depending on the intention, that actually makes a difference. It makes a, a difference and absolutely in, does that qualify as haram halal? It's an interesting perspective. Absolutely, yeah. It's mm. and it, it's a very blurred line too, right? Because mm. you can actually find an argument for GameStop if you wanted to. There are arguments for it. There are people out there that are saying GameStop is going to be a good investment because X Y Z. You know, they're uh, they're coming back. They have a new CEO or what have you. But mm. uh, I'm I, I don't think so. But <laughs> and again, not not an opinion, but um or not advice i should say but like i think this is very important personally i'm very much a believer in long-term investing i think that's how a lot of the wealth is made um and and what i'm personally like for, this is this is just my own experience and i don't think long-term investing is necessarily the only way to do it but i think it's been proven the most sound way i mean there, there are studies out there for example fidelity investments um they've done they have their own discount brokerage where people open an investment account with them they did they did a study on all the investment accounts um and their performance so the apparently the the investment accounts that traded the most that did the most frequent trades buy and sell buy and sell performed the worst mm. the best performing accounts 
or accounts of dead people, believe it or not, because they just, you know, their, their, stocks, their, their stocks haven't moved. I mean, they haven't been touched, right? It's in an estate or something, and it's just kind of growing. Um, or people, they forgot about it, obviously. That's, so the second one is people who forgot about their investment accounts as well. Mm. So those are, the, on average, the higher performing uh, accounts. So it just goes to show that if you invest in, in business and growth, you'll see that over time. And this is what all the investment legends and you read any investment book, uh, Warren Buffett, Peter Lynch, all these guys, this is what they will tell you. Mm. So it's, it's about getting that, that knowledge as a community. I think we, you know, it's like, again, the, the whole halal gambling thing. I think we need to move away from that. It's like either, oh, the stock market is gambling. I'm going to stay away or the stock market uh, is halal. So let me get in on some quick money a action. You know, mm. it's like we want one or the other. I don't know why, but mm. you know, I think the middle ground is you know, ummatan wasultan. Hopefully, we can be that. You know, <laughs> moderate, moderate ummah. So that's that's Definitely. my thinking, that's kind of philosophy. I I want to teach or I want to, you know, also you know, just kind of discuss with with people and learn from. Mm -hmm. uh, I I want your opinion on on something, and I know this is going to be your opinion, uh, but right now. Uh, and this is more for me to be honest than for anyone else. So I'm gonna I'm gonna try to squeeze your brain a little bit for this. Right now, yeah. where you know the market has seen a lot of ups and downs over the years, right? And for people listening to this, I'm sure uh, they're aware of of some of the crashes that have happened. Most notably, probably uh, the most recent one was the one uh, I believe was in 2008, right? The one when essentially all the banks went bust. Uh, so there was a lot of market crashes that happened recently, and. Um, a lot of people have been pred predicting, I think for the last four or five years, maybe even longer, that the market is again nearing a crash, right? And, and then uh, it was predicted during COVID and some people said, oh, the crash happened in COVID when the market you know, was red for a little bit. Um, I don't think it was red enough to be able to, to, honest, to be honest, to be qualified as a crash, but maybe. But anyways, what I'm trying to say is a lot of people think a crash is imminent. Like there, another market crash is coming, right? There's, it's gonna be in the red, it's gonna be a bloodbath. And for that reason, they've been waiting, right? And they've been waiting, and maybe they've been waiting since 2016, since 2017, and you know, waiting for that crash. People, they've been saying for a while, you know, this is this is going to happen. It hasn't happened yet. It hasn't happened yet. And the truth is, and we know this. I'm sure you know this as as well, even better than I do. But like the Feds have been pumping a lot of money into the stock market to keep it, you know, to keep it green, um, especially during COVID, to be able to prevent a crash. Now, I want to ask you this. Okay, because we're talking about long-term investing and I wanna give some tangible advice here to people listening. I want your opinion on this. Talking about tangible investing, right now we're faced with two possible situations or outcomes. Of course, there's the possibility of a market crash happening, right? And we don't know, I mean, at least for me, I don't know if that's gonna happen. If it's gonna happen, then when, obviously it's gonna be hard to predict, but is it gonna happen? So I'd love your opinion on that. Number two, at the same time, we're also witnessing a lot of innovation, right, within this sector. And you just talked about this, right? We're witnessing cryptocurrency and NFTs. And so if the market crashes, will it recover? And if it does recover, will it go past what it used to be right now? Or will then that be an opportunity for cryptocurrency to take over and other technologies to take over? So it's a lot to take in, right? It's, it's essentially right now uh, a very uncertain, at least in my opinion, a very uncertain playing ground right now in terms of investment. And I'd like your opinion, how you see things going, where you think this market's gonna go, where you think cryptocurrency is gonna go in general. And is it a good time right now for someone who hasn't invested to get in right now? Where of course, like the market's pretty high and a lot of stocks are at their all time high right now. Is this still a good time to get in? So I'd love your opinion on that. I know I shot a lot of, I shot a lot at you right now, but you know, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, it's a loaded question, but it's okay. <laughs> yeah, it no, is. It is I, I love addressing this, though. I, I, I like addressing this uh, concept, this idea. Um, so I'm going to start off by saying, uh, obviously, nobody can predict the future. Not with certainty, right? Um, the The second thing that I want to say is, the, the, the question, it's a very common question, and it comes from, like, a thinking of I don't want to lose money uh, the truth is a, cor a correction can happen and a correction will happen 
And, you know, anybody will tell you that uh, any investment professional who has been in the industry for, for decades will tell you that a crash can and will happen eventually. When? We don't know. Personally, what I think is a crash kind of did happen in March 2020. That was a market correction. Uh, and it was, uh, and, and I understand why people think the market is going to crash again really soon because they think, okay, there's so much money in the economy and, you know, and there's going to be inflation and they're, they're going to raise interest rates and that's going to cause a shock in the stock market. And, but for me, at the end of the day, what I've seen is that markets are very, very resilient. Uh, the economies, economies in general are very, very resilient. As long as there's this mentality of growth, you know, and you can say all you want about the U.S. government and, you know, the the different empires that are out there in the world today, China, U.S., what what's going on. But uh, the U.S. is, the, for example, just talking about the U.S., uh, the biggest economy in the world, and they've grown very well, and they're still growing, and they still have a very robust economy, in my opinion, um, and other economies as well. So right now we're at a point of we were in a lockdown and there was a whole bunch of slowdown and people were laid off a lot of unemployment and shops were closed but now we're going back in the other direction which is good where things are starting to recover and economic indicators are only indicating that things are heading in the right direction so for me like th those are the the ground facts I don't know how I can use that as a way to justify or conclude that the market is going to crash tomorrow. I, I can't personally, uh, especially as a long-term investor. So why I started with saying the, 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 maybe the potential issue with the question is that it's, it's, there's an issue of, or a concern about losing money is that you have to think that you will lose money. You have to know that you will at some point lose some money. You're going to get into a loss at one point. But what history has shown and what probabilities say is that if you're a long-term investor and you're invested for the long-term, you're very, 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 very likely to be profitable in the markets. Very likely. How profitable? I don't know. And it depends what you're investing in. And that comes down to your research, et cetera. Um, but even let's say you're investing in an index fund like the S&P 500 and let's say the Sharia index, uh, uh, the Sharia S&P 500. Uh, that one has done really well over the years and uh, it will, in my opinion, likely to continue to do well because it consists of large cap companies who are still profitable and they're coming out of an economic recovery. And if a crash happens, which it can, let's say it happens in a year from now and there's a really big crash. First of all, we don't know that that crash will be lower at a lower point than it is today. So let's say the, the S&P Sharia ATF, for example, which there is one, let's say it's at $25 today and in two years it reaches $30 and then it crashes to $26. That's a crash, but you're still up, right? And then at that point, usually what happens in a crash is people are, are panicking so there's a lot of irrational selling and a lot of unjustified selling. Uh, and what an investor should try to do is look at that and say, okay, this is an opportunity to buy more. So in a crash, especially if you're a long-term investor and you're just kind of passively investing for the long-term, you take opportunities like crashes and you buy. And you, you should be less worried about losing money because in the long run, the probabilities are that you will be profitable. And th there are plenty of charts out there. There's there's a chart, that, actually it's on my blog and it's about time horizon and, and risk tolerance. The, the, the article uh, that I wrote there about time horizon and risk tolerance, if you if you scroll down a bit, you'll see a chart that basically shows uh, the, the probability of being profitable over different time periods. So it goes daily, weekly, monthly, and then five years, 10 years, 20 years. The probability of being profitable over a daily time frame is like 50-50, basically. 50-50, you're going to be, 50% you're going to be profitable, 50% you're going to be uh, at a loss. And that makes sense because you buy a stock today, tomorrow it can fall. And that that's happened to me a million times. Um, and you just have to be okay with that. But 
over uh, 20 years. So, and it goes kind of in order and very much uh, in a in a very linear scale. Uh, weekly is like 75% you'll be profitable. Uh, 25% you'll be at a loss or something like that. And then when you reach 20 years, oh, there you go, my man. 20 years, it's pretty much 100% probability, right? Mm-hmm. That you're going to be right. in the positive. And this is over that specific uh, time period between 1926 and 2015 that they observed these these returns. So mm-hmm. it's just kind of a game of common sense and, and probabilities that one should um, should think about when it comes to deciding you know, whether they should uh, invest in the markets today or not. In my opinion... I think a lot more money has been lost waiting for a correction uh, than actually investing today. Right. Um, yeah, that's. I think I answered most of that uh, regarding cryptos. You did cryptos, I was, exactly. What's your opinion on crypto? If you can just share that with me and with the audience, of course. Yeah. So, so cryptocurrencies. I, I think they're they're definitely a significant uh, development in the the financial technology world and just. They, they, they're. I think they're going to be pervasive in a lot of different industries because of not just cryptocurrencies, but because of the blockchain technology. Right. Um, mm-hmm. Right now, they're. Uh, it's still still very early in the development of cryptocurrencies. Uh, there's a lot of potential. I don't know where Bitcoin is going to be in ten years from now, but I likely think it'll. It, it's 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 strengthening in terms of its reputation, even though. Uh, there are still a lot of regulatory uncertainties. Um, mm-hmm. For example, uh, this is not related to Bitcoin, but directly, but Binance, which is the uh, crypto exchange, has been banned in Ontario actually recently and, and in the UK. So there's going to be uncertainties like that, that kind of, okay, oh, we can't use this app anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do I do with my cryptos? People are going to panic and sell. So there's going to be a lot of ups and downs with crypto. And that really needs to be un- understood. I, I talked about it in a, in a uh, video one time. It's, inter- it's interesting that they banned uh, Binance. Why do you think they did that? I mean, did, did, they, did they share information on why they're banning, uh, you know, an exchange like Binance, which is one of the biggest exchanges, actually? It is. It is. Yeah. And it causes some concern, right? Um, mm-hmm. I, I think I think that the crypto space has developed a lot. So I, I, I think it's, it's here to stay in some way, shape or form. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, I would say, like, look at look and do your research. See what which projects are interesting, which crypto projects are you think are going to do well in the future. But mm-hmm. why they banned them? It's it's just a regulatory thing. So mm-hmm. the main idea behind cryptocurrencies is that they're decentralized and not regulated by any government or central bank, and so uh, they they're and they're digital. So there's just a lack of certainty right now as to how they're going to be regulated and framed. And Binance probably has a lot of specific, um, you know, uh, specific regulatory issues or things that relate to its uh, buying and selling and showing of information and how things are exchanged that the, the regulatory bodies like the SEC and um, or that version of in the UK um, that basically don't yet know how to regulate in a certain way and what you need mm-hmm. to understand about regulators is that they're very uh, they're they're very uh you know they want to have control over how things operate and they also take their time and because they take their time while the crypto space is developing they're going to surprise us from time to time with okay actually so here's our decision about what we think about uh about exchanging this this crypto china recently banned financial institutions from trading uh, cryptocurrencies as well. So uh, governments also have an issue with cryptos. Uh, I know it's it's banned in Turkey um, mm. because they want to have control over the, the the monetary supply and just generally how, because money is very different than just investments and assets, right? Money is literally how you exchange value. It's, it's the medium of exchange. So if it becomes that there is another medium of exchange outside of the, the, the government's control, it's very concerning for governments, and I and I understand that. Uh, so uh, we have to keep that in mind when it comes to uh, cryptos in general. For sure, I wanna I wanna ask you before we dive into some audience questions as well. Inshallah, to see uh, I know there's a few that came in uh, from our listeners today. I wanna ask you what are some uh, some 
some practical tips that we can give to the Muslims listening to this uh, that they can take to grow their wealth sustainably and in a halal way. Is there any tips that we can give them to our listeners today? Yeah, definitely. Um, so, so you guys. So the, the first thing that I would I would consider is uh, first of all understand your financial situation. Mm -hmm. Understand how much money that you have that is investable. So what I mean by investable is that you can you can risk it and you can you don't mind losing some of it or a big portion of it um, and you can pretty much not lock it up but you can have it in mind to invest for three to five years at least so this kind of money it's not money that you need in the, in the immediate term so first of all figure out how much money you need in the immediate term so emergency expenses usually six to twelve months of you know your basic living needs uh, an amount of that amount is good to have or is important to have as an emergency savings. So first establish that, uh, understand how much debt you owe, if you have any debts, um, and then set a plan for paying that off. Ideally, once you've paid that off, then you can start investing. But I don't think there's necessarily a right and one right answer. I think somebody can start slowly investing. So that said, if you have identified that, okay, let's say I have $5,000 or a thousand, whatever the number is, that I don't need today, I don't need in the next two years, I don't need in the next maybe three years. I wanna do something with this money, I don't want it to just sit there. Uh, and then think about, okay, what goals do I have, right? Many of us have the obvious goal of, I wanna grow my savings so that I have a bigger pot of money in retirement. That's a very common goal. So, okay, let's start with that. Your time horizon right there is at least 15 years plus, uh, depending on your age, of course. Uh, so understanding what, how much money you have to invest, and then go ahead and open a, a brokerage account. Go ahead and open a, an investment account, right? Um, uh, there are many out there like TD Ameritrade. There, if you're in the US, UK, there's there's a whole bunch uh, in Canada. There's Quest Trade. There's CIBC Investors Edge. There's there, there's so many that you can choose from. Um, and then what I would do is simply start by getting your feet wet. And I know a lot of people say, oh, you know, you should you should open a, a paper account, which is like fake money, basically. I personally don't believe in that. You can if you want to, but I don't think it gets you very far. It's more, in my opinion, for trading, if you want to try certain trading tactics and look at charts and whatnot. But as a long-term investor, I think the important thing is to start and get a feel of how it feels for your money to, to, get, uh, to get invested, move up and down, and understand how that how that feels start with that amount and then designate a certain a small amount uh, that is feasible for you to consistently contribute into that uh, investment pot over time um, and then in terms of what to invest in if you're a complete beginner i would start with um, a halal etf for example you've got the wahed invest etf the ticker symbols h l a l and then you've got the uh, Sharia portfolio ETF, which is the S&P 500 one that I mentioned earlier. Um, uh, the ticker symbol for that is SPUS. These are common ones that I, you know, just put out there. You, you can, they're diversified. They're basically ETFs are exchange traded funds. They're a basket of companies. And these are a basket of 200 of the, of uh, the U.S.'s uh, top halal, uh, Sharia compliant, I should say, companies that qualify under certain Sharia standards. Uh, that's a good way to just literally start the journey and let your money get invested. Why it's good to start with an ETF is because it's diversified. What that means is you've got companies, uh, you're, you're spreading out your risk so that you're not investing in just one company. Because when you're investing in just one company, anything can happen to that one company, any piece of news. You know, if you think about Tesla, Elon Musk does a tweet and then, you know, the, the stock moves, right? Um, so it's it's a great way to just get yourself uh, invested. ETFs don't move a lot, so you can, it's kind of a warm up into the markets because they're uh, they have like 200 stocks, so they're not going to naturally move like like individual stocks. But then once you're more comfortable, you can start researching individual stocks. And uh, what I use actually for for Muslims specifically, if you want to a kind of a shortcut for finding uh, Sharia compliant stocks. Uh, I'd give a shout out to Zoya. That's a, an app 
that is it's it's been quite uh, widely used already by the Muslim community to filter out Sharia compliant companies. You can just basically go search up a company, see if it's Sharia compliant or not. It tells you why. Um, and then you've got Islamically, that's another one. They use another standard that's similar to the one that Zoya used. They also use kind of the similar a similar standard, but there are going to be some differences. Um, you, you can download Islamically as well, but I think you have to pay for that one to, to see a little bit more uh, information. Uh, Finispia is another one. It's another stock screener. And uh, there's one other one that I recently came across. Oh, Muslim Exchange. That's another one you can check out. And they all kind of have their own. It's, it's the same criteria that I mentioned earlier, but with slight differences. But these are great tools to use to find individual stocks. And I would put smaller portions for individual stocks because they're a more concentrated bet when you're investing. Um, and they, they move a lot more than an ETF would. So from there, you kind of get an idea of how stocks move and start building a portfolio uh, of stocks. Something like, you know, 10 to 15, even 20 stocks is, is good enough to make your own diversified portfolio and learn about these companies, follow up with them, uh, see how they, they've performed and the, their earnings. Uh, there's, there's, there's a lot that, that one can do, but honestly, if you've, it, there are so many different types of risks you can take when investing in stocks. So just understand how a company has performed over the the last five years, five to ten years, how its stock has performed, and you can kind of get an get an idea of what you can expect. Not it doesn't indicate what it's going to do, but you can get an idea of the volatility or how much risk you're you're putting your your money into. And then from there, you 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 just get a feel of uh, why stocks move the way they do. And uh, but you you need to keep you need to give them time. All right. That's that's a very important thing, especially if it's if you believe in the company and you believe in its growth. Thank you so much for sharing these tips, brother. I think uh, it's definitely uh, a big list that now someone can note down and they can take this in pretty much some masterclass. So uh, shout out to me for bringing you this podcast and to Moaz for joining me today and sharing these tips. Uh, really, thank you so much, brother. Jazakallah khair, because, um, you know, this is all about giving value to the listeners and, and giving uh, giving them some tangible advice that they can walk away with and benefit themselves in entrepreneurship, business, or even in life in general. And we've definitely done that today. Now, I want to dive into uh, some questions by the audience. We actually have a few that came in, uh, and I'd love to share them with you. Uh, I think there's some really good ones here. So one of the questions from the audience uh, that we have from one of our viewers on Facebook is this. Uh, would you recommend a financial investor or a strategic investor when it comes to business uh, which one does my think is better and for what type of organization so i think of course that's a matter of opinion but do you have any uh, thoughts on that financial versus strategic um i'm trying to kind of understand the question specifically mm -hmm. um so financial usually to give people also uh, kind of an idea of what that is so in business financial is, is someone that's going to come in and just put their money into your business without necessarily having an input. Uh, and a strategic investor is one that will invest, but will also have a say in decisions in the business. Uh, so they'll essentially take part in the strategy and not just with their money as well. So that's the key difference there. Okay, okay, uh, that makes sense. Um, yeah, so so if, if you're talking about somebody who's going to be investing in your business, um, so the, yeah, that that is going to be definitely a difference of opinion, but definitely the a financial in, investor, uh, it's it's the benefit of just having somebody giving you uh, a certain amount of money is that mm -hmm. they are, you know, they're they're not gonna uh, they're not gonna have a say necessarily as much of a say, and you can have a little bit more freedom as to where you want to take the business. Mm -hmm. Strategic investor obviously is going to want more say. There's pros and cons, obviously. A strategic yeah. investor, if, it depends on what you're looking for. If you're looking for expertise, I would imagine that you probably want a strategic investor uh, because you'd want to shift your business to a certain way. And if you feel that you know um, you can, your business can benefit from that expertise. Um, in the investment world, these these uh, these guys are sometimes called uh, hedge fund activists or mm -hmm. just activist investors, right? They're they're very involved and they actually try to take over the company in a way, <laughs> kind of using politics, but that's that's getting to right. another extreme. But, but yeah, I, I think I think it really depends on your needs. I, I 
I don't think I'm the most qualified to to comment on that. But if I I, I think it would definitely depend on the situation. I would say if, if you're looking for somebody's input, probably strategic investor. If you're just looking for for cash for your business and you know exactly what you want to do, probably a financial investor. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much. And I think that's going to benefit people who don't even know the difference. Uh, you know, just to kind of understand that notion as well. Uh, we got a great question. I think we answered it on the podcast, but I'd love for you to just kind of give maybe a, a quick recap for this. Um, I know the answer, but I want you to share the answer. So I'd like to ask what investment philosophy one should have while investing in stocks to make the maximum profit out of it. Investment philosophy. I, I would say, have a long-term time horizon. That's the mm -hmm. best way to make sure that you're uh, more likely to get uh, the maximum profit, if you will. Um, mm -hmm. The other thing is to look for companies that are, or look for investments that uh, you think are going to continue growing and not just continue growing, but are growing, uh, like accelerating in the pace of growth. So if you see that, you know, a stock or an investment um, the, the underlying company itself is very likely to continue its growth and has a, it has a really good uh, strategy in the market that it's operating in, then it's likely going to continue generating more and more value, taking up more market share, and that's going to expand its, uh, its stock price. That's generally what happens. Um, but again, this usually needs time. I'm more, I'm more going to comment on the, you know, the long-term investing approach. Some people will tell you if they're if they're traders, um, in terms of you know like they, they like the more short term approach where they look at charts and patterns. Uh, you know, from what I know, the, the the general wisdom out of that is to set a target price and to set your stop losses. So know exactly how much you're willing to lose, and cut your losses, and then also set a, a target price and take profits, um, and know what kind of profits you can expect within a certain time frame. So that's, it really depends on the investment approach, but personally, I think long-term investing in solid businesses generates the best long-term returns. Mm -hmm. At what point in life can you invest? What if someone does not even have decent income yet? So that's one of the questions that we received as well. So if someone doesn't really feel like they have the finances, is it, is it, is it a good idea to invest anyway? What's your opinion on that? Yeah. So generally speaking, I mean, uh, once you turn 18 and you've got some money to invest, you know, you can open your own account. But uh, if we want to hone in on it, like specifically what's the right thing to do based on your situation, it really depends on everyone has a very different situation. But I do encourage as much as possible for uh, for people to start investing early. So the earlier you start, the better, because time really, really, really makes a difference um, in terms of compounding returns over time. So even if you have just a hundred dollars, twenty-five dollars, uh, start investing. I think mm -hmm. take it as a per percentage of your income, percentage of your wealth, whatever the amount you can afford. That's you know, it's not an absolute need for your living. Uh, try to allocate some to towards investing, and you'll see that snowball over time right so if it's not a great time right now inshallah one day it will be a better time for you to start putting more but the idea is to get started and get comfortable mm -hmm. and right. you just want to see the evidence in front of you of it you know of that actually materializing so i think it's important to start like like uh you say all the time abby uh when's the best time to start a business now right, <laughs> right now 100 percent. it's right now <laughs> no idea right? hundred percent, hundred percent. I love that, brother. And and you even mentioned earlier in the uh, in the podcast, and I think it's it's it falls in the same vein, which is, you know, you want to flex that investing muscle, right? You want to build it up a little bit. You want to get that experience under your belt, get comfortable with it, get comfortable with the losses, the gains, so that when you're investing higher amounts, you're not scared when you see red for a little bit, and you don't panic yeah. right away and, and you know uh, you know sell all of your shares. So. Um, Definitely lots of value to be had here. So Zakhalah Khir for that. Brother, when, where can, well, actually number one, what, what's in store for the future of Halal Investor? What can people expect from you moving forward? What are your plans for uh, the rest of the year and maybe even next few years? Yeah, um, inshallah, I, for now I, I plan to put out uh, more, just more content, just to mm -hmm. educate people a lot more and um, and just kind of gauge where what people are interested in uh, in terms of content, what other what other content they're, they're interested in. 
but in terms of long-term plans, inshallah, I, uh, you know, I, I hope to provide more of a, uh, more of an educate, more of a formal education platform for, mm -hmm. for Muslims to, to learn how to invest. Uh, and this is something inshallah that I'm going to be building out over the, the next few years, inshallah. Uh, mm -hmm. So that's kind of the, the, the master plan. And, uh, but yeah, in the meantime, you know, check out my Instagram that that's, that's where I, I pretty much do most of the work right now. Cause it's, you know, uh, I have a thought, I have an idea you can put, you, I can, I can put it out there and it's relatively yeah. uh, simple and it gets the point across. And, uh, yeah. And, and to that point, uh, any, for any entrepreneur, we have a lot of tools and resources and it's literally as simple as, as you have an idea you can start right away. There's platforms like Instagram. There's TikTok as well. I'm also on there. Uh, there's YouTube. Uh, like social media is, is so powerful and you can do so much with it. You'd be surprised once you start doing something, what will come out. And you don't necessarily need to know exactly what you want to do right now, right? So. Mm -hmm. I love it, brother. Well, where can people go? Uh, I mean, you've shared so much value today with us on this episode and I really thank you for that. And I'm sure the people listening as well uh, want to support you and want to thank you for that as well. So where can they go to support you and, and just, you know, follow you as you go on your journey, inshallah? Yeah, uh, check out uh, my Instagram. Uh, that's that's mainly where I'm focused right now. Uh, TikTok as well. You can follow me there. Okay. Awesome. Um, and I've got a link in uh, the, the link in bio. You guys can check out. I've got some resources there uh, awesome. for um yeah, I also have a beginner's guide if you guys want to check it out. Uh, it's available for purchase. And that's, uh, that, that's pretty much what I've got going on right now. All right, all right, beautiful. So we'll drop the links in the comments, guys. Make sure to check out the Instagram. It's halal.investor uh, or just search halal.investor on Instagram. And you'll find it, inshallah, as well. If you want to go check out the website and the blog, lots of beneficial content on there, including some of the concepts that we talked about, about long-term investing and how to invest and grow your investments over time. That's going to be at halalinvestor.net. Okay, so check that out as well when you have some time. If you want to learn more about investing and growing your wealth in a halal and ethical way. Brother Moaz, this has been an absolute honor and pleasure, brother. Thank you so much for joining me on this podcast. I really enjoyed it. I learned a lot today, so I'm sure our audience did too. Jazakallah uh, khair. And uh, as well, for all of you guys who are listening, you know the drill, guys. Make sure to subscribe, rate the podcast, and show us your support. Follow us where you need to, whether that's Instagram, Facebook, uh, YouTube, wherever. Just search for Printer, and you'll find us as well. And we'll see you in the next episode. Take care, guys. Assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum. My pleasure is mine. Assalamu alaikum.